We begin the fourth and final part of this indictment on page 32. The defendant's attempts to enlist the vice president to fraudulently alter the election results at the January 6th certification proceeding. As the January 6th congressional certification proceeding approached and other efforts to impair, obstruct, and defeat the federal government function failed, the defendant sought to enlist the vice president to use his ceremonial role at the certification to fraudulently alter the election results. The defendant did this first by using knowingly false claims of election fraud to convince the vice president to accept the defendant's fraudulent electors, reject legitimate electoral votes, or send legitimate electoral votes to state legislatures for review rather than count them. When that failed, the defendant attempted to use a crowd of supporters that he had gathered in Washington, D.C. to pressure the vice president to fraudulently alter the election results. On December 19, 2020, after cultivating widespread anger and resentment for weeks with his knowingly false claims of election fraud, the defendant urged his supporters to travel to Washington on the day of the certification proceeding, tweeting, Big protest in D.C. on January 6th. Be there. Will be wild. Throughout late December, he repeatedly urged his supporters to come to Washington for January 6th. On December 23rd, the defendant retweeted a memo titled Operation Pence Card, which falsely asserted that the vice president could, among other things, unilaterally disqualify legitimate electors from six targeted states. On the same day, co-conspirator 2 circulated a two-page memorandum outlining a plan for the vice president to unlawfully declare the defendant the certified winner of the presidential election. In the memorandum, co-conspirator 2 claimed that seven states had transmitted two slates of electors and proposed that the vice president announce that because of the ongoing disputes in the seven states, there are no electors that can be deemed validly appointed in those states. Next, co-conspirator 2 proposed steps that he acknowledged violated the ECA, advocating that, in the end, Pence then gavels President Trump as re-elected. Just two months earlier, on October 11th, co-conspirator 2 had taken the opposite position, writing that neither the Constitution nor the ECA provided the vice president discretion in the counting of electoral votes, or permitted him to make the determination on his own. On several private phone calls in late December and early January, the defendant repeated knowingly false claims of election fraud and directly pressured the vice president to use his ceremonial role at the certification proceeding on January 6th to fraudulently overturn the results of the election, and the vice president resisted, including A, on December 25th, when the vice president called the defendant to wish him a Merry Christmas. The defendant quickly turned the conversation to January 6th and his request that the vice president reject electoral votes that day. 
the vice president pushed back, telling the defendant, as the vice president already had in previous conversations, you know I don't think I have the authority to change the outcome. B. On December 29th, as reflected in the vice president's contemporaneous notes, the defendant falsely told the vice president that the Justice Department was finding major infractions. C. On January 1st, the defendant called the vice president and berated him because he had learned that the vice president had opposed a lawsuit seeking a judicial decision that, at certification, the vice president had the authority to reject or return votes to the states under the Constitution. The vice president responded that he thought there was no constitutional basis for such authority and that it was improper. In response, the defendant told the vice president, You're too honest. Within hours of the conversation, the defendant reminded his supporters to meet in Washington before the certification proceeding, tweeting, The big protest rally in Washington, D.C. will take place at 11 a.m. on January 6th. Locational details to follow. Stop the steal. D. On January 3rd, the defendant again told the vice president that at the certification proceeding, the vice president had the absolute right to reject electoral votes and the ability to overturn the election. The vice president responded that he had no such authority and that a federal appeals court had rejected the lawsuit making that claim the previous day. On January 3rd, co-conspirator 2 circulated a second memorandum that included a new plan under which, contrary to the ECA, the vice president would send the elector slates to the state legislatures to determine which slate to count. On January 4th, the defendant held a meeting with co-conspirator 2, the vice president, the vice president's chief of staff, and the vice president's counsel for the purpose of convincing the vice president, based on the defendant's knowingly false claims of election fraud, that the vice president should reject or send to the states Biden's legitimate electoral votes rather than count them. The defendant deliberately excluded his White House counsel from the meeting because the White House counsel previously had pushed back on the defendant's false claims of election fraud. During the meeting, as reflected in the vice president's contemporaneous notes, the defendant made knowingly false claims of election fraud, including Bottom line, won every state by hundreds of thousands of votes, and We won every state, and asked, regarding a claim his senior Justice Department officials previously had told him was false, including as recently as the night before, what about 205,000 votes more in Pennsylvania than voters? The defendant and co-conspirator, too, then asked the vice president to either unilaterally reject the legitimate electors from the seven targeted states or send the question of which slate was legitimate to the targeted states' legislatures. When the vice president challenged co-conspirator, too, on whether the proposal to return the question to the states was defensible, co-conspirator 2 responded, 
while nobody's tested it before. The vice president then told the defendant, Did you hear that? Even your own counsel is not saying I have that authority. The defendant responded, That's okay. I prefer the other suggestion of the vice president rejecting the electors unilaterally. Also on January 4th, when co-conspirator 2 acknowledged to the defendant's senior advisor that no court would support his proposal, the senior advisor told co-conspirator 2, you're going to cause riots in the streets. Co-conspirator 2 responded that there had previously been points in the nation's history where violence was necessary to protect the republic. After that conversation, the senior advisor notified the defendant that co-conspirator 2 had conceded that his plan was not going to work. On the morning of January 5th, at the defendant's direction, the vice president's chief of staff and the vice president's counsel met again with co-conspirator 2. Co-conspirator 2 now advocated that the vice president do what the defendant had said he preferred the day before, unilaterally reject electors from the targeted states. During this meeting, co-conspirator 2 privately acknowledged to the vice president's counsel that he hoped to prevent judicial review of his proposal because he understood that it would be unanimously rejected by the Supreme Court. The vice president's counsel expressed to co-conspirator 2 that following through with the proposal would result in a disastrous situation where the election might have to be decided in the streets. That same day, the defendant encouraged supporters to travel to Washington on January 6th, and he set the false expectation that the vice president had the authority to, and might use, his ceremonial role at the certification proceeding to reverse the election outcome in the defendant's favor, including issuing the following tweets. A. At 11.06 a.m. The vice president has the power to reject fraudulently chosen electors. This was within 40 minutes of the defendant's earlier reminder. See you in D.C. B. At 5.05 p.m., Washington is being inundated with people who don't want to see an election victory stolen. Our country has had enough. They won't take it anymore. We hear you and love you from the Oval Office. C. At 5.43 p.m., I will be speaking at the Save America rally tomorrow on the Ellipse at 11 a.m. Eastern. Arrive early. Doors open at 7 a.m. Eastern. Big crowds. Also on January 5th, the defendant met alone with the vice president. When the vice president refused to agree to the defendant's request that he obstruct the certification, the defendant grew frustrated and told the vice president that the defendant would have to publicly criticize him. Upon learning of this, the vice president's chief of staff was concerned for the vice president's safety and alerted the head of the vice president's secret service detail. As crowds began to gather in Washington and were audible from the Oval Office, 
the defendant remarked to advisors that the crowd the following day on January 6th was going to be angry. That night, the defendant approved and caused the defendant's campaign to issue a public statement that the defendant knew from his meeting with the vice president only hours earlier was false. The vice president and I are in total agreement that the vice president has the power to act. On January 6th, starting in the early morning hours, the defendant again turned to knowingly false statements aimed at pressuring the vice president to fraudulently alter the election outcome and raised publicly the false expectation that the vice president might do so. A. At 1 a.m., the defendant issued a tweet that falsely claimed, If Vice President at Mike Pence comes through for us, we will win the presidency. Many states want to decertify the mistake they made in certifying incorrect and even fraudulent numbers in a process not approved by their state legislatures, which it must be. Mike can send it back. B. At 8.17 a.m., the defendant issued a tweet that falsely stated, States want to correct their votes, which they now know were based on irregularities and fraud, plus corrupt process never received legislative approval. All Mike Pence has to do is send them back to the states, and we win. Do it, Mike. This is a time for extreme courage. On the morning of January 6th, an agent of the defendant contacted a United States senator to ask him to hand-deliver documents to the vice president. The agent then facilitated the receipt by the senator's staff of the fraudulent certificates signed by the defendant's fraudulent electors in Michigan and Wisconsin, which were believed not to have been delivered to the vice president or archivist by mail. When one of the senator's staffers contacted a staffer for the vice president by text message to arrange for delivery of what the senator's staffer had been told were alternative slates of electors for Michigan and Wisconsin because archivists didn't receive them, the vice president's staffer rejected them. At 11.15 a.m., the defendant called the vice president and again pressured him to fraudulently reject or return Biden's legitimate electoral votes. The vice president again refused. Immediately after the call, the defendant decided to single out the vice president in public remarks he would make within the hour, reinserting language that he had personally drafted earlier that morning, falsely claiming that the vice president had authority to send electoral votes to the states but that advisors had previously successfully advocated to be removed. Earlier that morning, the defendant had selected co-conspirator 2 to join co-conspirator 1 in giving public remarks before his own. When they did so, based on knowingly false election fraud claims, co-conspirator 1 and co-conspirator 2 intensified pressure on the vice president to fraudulently obstruct the certification proceeding. A. Co-conspirator 1 told the crowd that the vice president could cast the ECA aside 
and unilaterally decide on the validity of these crooked ballots. He also lied when he claimed to have letters from five legislatures begging us to send elector slates to the legislatures for review and called for trial by combat. B. Co-conspirator 2 told the crowd, All we are demanding of Vice President Pence is this afternoon at 1 o'clock he let the legislatures of the state look into this so we get to the bottom of it and the American people know whether we have control of the direction of our government or not. We no longer live in a self-governing republic if we can't get the answer to this question. Next, beginning at 11.56 a.m., the defendant made multiple knowingly false statements, integral to his criminal plans to defeat the federal government function, obstruct the certification, and interfere with others' right to vote and have their votes counted. The defendant repeated false claims of election fraud, gave false hope that the vice president might change the election outcome, and directed the crowd in front of him to go to the Capitol as a means to obstruct the certification and pressure the vice president to fraudulently obstruct the certification. The defendant's knowingly false statements for these purposes included A. The defendant falsely claimed that based on fraud, the vice president could alter the outcome of the election results, stating, I hope Mike is going to do the right thing. I hope so. I hope so. Because if Mike Pence does the right thing, we win the election. All he has to do, all, this is, this is from the number one or certainly one of the top constitutional lawyers in our country. He has the absolute right to do it. We're supposed to protect our country, support our country, support our constitution, and protect our constitution. States want to re-vote. The states got defrauded. They were given false information. They voted on it. Now they want to recertify. They want it back. All Vice President Pence has to do is send it back to the states to recertify, and we become president, and you are the happiest people. B. After the defendant falsely stated that the Pennsylvania legislature wanted to recertify their votes, they want to recertify, but the only way that can happen is if Mike Pence agrees to send it back. The crowd began to chant, Send it back. C. The defendant also said that regular rules no longer applied, stating, And fraud breaks up everything, doesn't it? When you catch somebody in a fraud, you're allowed to go by very different rules. D. Finally, after exhorting that we fight, we fight like hell, and if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. The defendant directed the people in front of him to head to the Capitol, suggested he was going with them, and told them to give members of Congress the kind of pride and boldness that they need to take back our country. During and after the defendant's remarks, thousands of people marched toward the Capitol.
The Defendant's Exploitation of the Violence and Chaos at the Capitol Shortly before 1 p.m., the Vice President issued a public statement explaining that his role as President of the Senate at the certification proceeding that was about to begin did not include unilateral authority to determine which electoral votes should be counted and which should not. Before the defendant had finished speaking, a crowd began to gather at the Capitol. Thereafter, a mass of people, including individuals who had traveled to Washington and to the Capitol, at the defendant's direction, broke through barriers cordoning off the Capitol grounds and advanced on the building, including by violently attacking law enforcement officers trying to secure it. The defendant, who had returned to the White House after concluding his remarks, watched events at the Capitol unfold on the television in the dining room next to the Oval Office. At 2.13 p.m., after more than an hour of steady, violent advancement, the crowd at the Capitol broke into the building. Upon receiving news that individuals had breached the Capitol, the defendant's advisors told him that there was a riot there and that rioters had breached the building. When advisors urged the defendant to issue a calming message aimed at the rioters, the defendant refused instead repeatedly remarking that the people at the Capitol were angry because the election had been stolen. At 2.24 p.m., after advisors had left the defendant alone in his dining room, the defendant issued a tweet intended to further delay and obstruct the certification. Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution giving states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones which they were asked to previously certify. USA demands the truth. One minute later, at 2.25 p.m., the United States Secret Service was forced to evacuate the vice president to a secure location. At the Capitol, throughout the afternoon, members of the crowd chanted, Hang Mike Pence. Where is Pence? Bring him out. And traitor Pence. The defendant repeatedly refused to approve a message directing rioters to leave the Capitol, as urged by his most senior advisors, including the White House counsel, a deputy White House counsel, the chief of staff, a deputy chief of staff, and a senior advisor. Instead, the defendant issued two tweets that did not ask rioters to leave the Capitol, but instead falsely suggested that the crowd at the Capitol was being peaceful, including A. At 2.28 p.m. Please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. B. At 3.13 p.m., I am asking for everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful. No violence. Remember, we are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue. Thank you. At 3 p.m., the defendant had a phone call with the minority leader of the United States House of Representatives. The defendant told the minority leader 
that the crowd at the Capitol was more upset about the election than the minority leader was. At 4.17 p.m., the defendant released a video message on Twitter that he had just taped in the White House Rose Garden. In it, the defendant repeated the knowingly false claim that we had an election that was stolen from us, and finally asked individuals to leave the Capitol while telling them that they were very special and that we love you. After the 4.17 p.m. tweet, as the defendant joined others in the outer Oval Office to watch the attack on the Capitol on television, the defendant said, See, this is what happens when they try to steal an election. These people are angry. These people are really angry about it. This is what happens. At 6.01 p.m., the defendant tweeted, these are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots who have been badly and unfairly treated for so long. Go home with love and in peace. Remember this day forever. On the evening of January 6th, the defendant and co-conspirator one attempted to exploit the violence and chaos at the Capitol by calling lawmakers to convince them, based on knowingly false claims of election fraud, to delay the certification, including a. The defendant, through White House aides, attempted to reach two United States senators at 6 o'clock p.m. b. From 6.59 p.m. until 7.18 p.m., co-conspirator one placed calls to five United States senators and one United States representative. C. Co-conspirator six attempted to confirm phone numbers for six United States senators whom the defendant had directed co-conspirator one to call an attempt to enlist in further delaying the certification. D. In one of the calls, co-conspirator one left a voicemail intended for a United States senator that said, We need you, our Republican friends, to try to just slow it down so we can get these legislatures to get more information to you, and I know they're reconvening at eight tonight, but the only strategy we can follow is to object to numerous states and raise issues so that we get ourselves into tomorrow. Ideally, until the end of tomorrow. E. In another message intended for another United States senator, co-conspirator one repeated knowingly false allegations of election fraud, including that the vote counts certified by the states to Congress were incorrect and that the governors who had certified knew they were incorrect that illegal immigrants had voted in substantial numbers in Arizona, and that Georgia gave you a number in which 65,000 people who were underage voted. Co-conspirator one also claimed that the vice president's actions had been surprising and asked the senator to object to every state and kind of spread this out a little bit like a filibuster. At 7.01 p.m., while co-conspirator one was calling United States senators on behalf of the defendant, 
the White House counsel called the defendant to ask him to withdraw any objections and allow the certification. The defendant refused. The attack on the Capitol obstructed and delayed the certification for approximately six hours, until the Senate and House of Representatives came back into session separately at 8.06 p.m. and 9.02 p.m., respectively, and came together in a joint session at 11.35 p.m. At 11.44 p.m., co-conspirator 2 emailed the vice president's counsel advocating that the vice president violate the law and seek further delay of the certification. Co-conspirator 2 wrote, I implore you to consider one more relatively minor violation of the ECA and adjourn for 10 days to allow the legislature to finish their investigations, as well as to allow a full forensic audit of the massive amount of illegal activity that has occurred here. At 3.41 a.m. on January 7th, as President of the Senate, the Vice President announced the certified results of the 2020 presidential election in favor of Biden. The defendant and his co-conspirators committed one or more of the acts to affect the object of the conspiracy alleged above in paragraphs 13, 15 through 16, 18 through 22, 24, 26, 28, 30 through 33, 35, 37 through 39, 41, 43 through 44, 46, 50, 52, 54, 56, 57 through 64, 67, 71 through 75, 78 through 82, 84, 85, 87 through 97, 99 through 100, 102 through 104, 111, 114, 116, 118 through 119, and 122. In violation of Title 18, United States Code, Section 371. Count 2. Conspiracy to Obstruct an Official Proceeding, 18 U.S.C. Section 1512K. The allegations contained in paragraphs 1 through 4 and 8 through 123 of this indictment are realleged and fully incorporated here by reference. From on or about November 14, 2020, through on or about January 7, 2021, in the District of Columbia and elsewhere, the defendant, Donald J. Trump, did knowingly combine, conspire, confederate, and agree with co-conspirators, known and unknown to the grand jury, to corruptly obstruct and impede an official proceeding, that is, the certification of the electoral vote in violation of Title 18, United States Code, Section 1512C2. In violation of Title 18, United States Code, Section 1512K. Count 3. Obstruction of and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. 
18 U.S.C. Sections 1512C, 2, and 2. The allegations contained in paragraphs 1 through 4 and 8 through 123 of this indictment are realleged and fully incorporated here by reference. From on or about November 14, 2020, through on or about January 7, 2021, in the District of Columbia and elsewhere, the defendant, Donald J. Trump, attempted to and did corruptly obstruct and impede an official proceeding, that is, the certification of the electoral vote. In violation of Title 18, United States Code, Sections 1512C, 2, and 2. Count 4. Conspiracy Against Rights, 18 U.S.C. Section 241. The allegations contained in paragraphs 1 through 4 and 8 through 123 of this indictment are realleged and fully incorporated here by reference. From on or about November 14, 2020, through on or about January 20, 2021, in the District of Columbia and elsewhere, the defendant, Donald J. Trump, did knowingly combine, conspire, confederate, and agree with co-conspirators, known and unknown to the grand jury, to injure, oppress, threaten, and intimidate one or more persons in the free exercise and enjoyment of a right and privilege secured to them by the Constitution and laws of the United States, that is, the right to vote and to have one's vote counted. In violation of Title 18, United States Code, Section 241. A true bill, signed by the Grand Jury Foreperson, and Jack Smith, Special Counsel, United States Department of Justice. We've come to the end of this indictment. Thanks for listening.